two men were charged with involuntary manslaughter Monday for creating what prosecutors say was a fire trap. Story we're following tonight, a woman who used to live in the ghost ship warehouse testified about her safety concerns. The defense is set to begin presenting its case to the jury in the ghost ship trial. I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, the ghost ship trial. On December 2nd, 2016, a fire tore through a warehouse in Oakland. At the time, the building was being used as an unlicensed live workspace for artists. And on the night of the fire, an unsanctioned music event was being thrown. Reporter Megan Cassidy is here. She's been covering the trial of Derek Almena, who held the lease for the ghost ship, and Max Harris, who's been described by prosecutors as Almena's right hand. They're charged with 36 counts each of involuntary manslaughter. Megan Cassidy, right after this. The trial into Oakland's ghost ship fire started six weeks ago. Megan Cassidy has been covering it, and here's my conversation with her about the testimony so far. So, Megan, um, you are here because there is a break in the ghost ship trial that you've been covering, correct? Yes, a very small one. And um, so you've been in there for several weeks. This is the trial into the catastrophic fire in Oakland's Fruitvale neighborhood that killed 36 people. Um, what has stood out most about the trial so far? Um, a couple things. Um, <laughs> one is just the, the big difference in lawyering tactics between the prosecution and the, and the defense. Uh, the prosecution is very regimented. They're, they're frills three. They have really like one case they're going to make and, and they stay on track. Uh, the defense uh, is really um, very entertaining to watch and they have um, a couple of different theories um, and it's it's just kind of interesting to see the dynamic between uh, be- between the two sides play out. And of course, that's Tony Serra, the sort of legendary attorney who once defended uh, Black Panthers leader Huey, Huey Newton yep. and Hell's yep. Angels, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, Shrimp Boy, he was on that one as well. And uh, and then uh, to- he, so he's uh, representing Derek Almena, who is the master tenant of the warehouse, and then uh, Curtis Briggs is representing Max Harris. Okay, well let's let's take it back. Um, I want to ask you about um, obviously this this terrible fire, which was one of the worst tragedies in California, but also kind of what we are learning, uh, not only about the fire through this trial, but about the the roles of various players. So why don't you take us back and 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 tell us. Sort of what is the centerpiece of the case? What do we know about what prosecutors are trying to say about this fire? Uh, what they're trying to say is that um, essentially the cause of it is irrelevant. They haven't really spelled that out, but really, I mean, they have not tried to back a certain cause at all. Well, what was the cause of the fire? We don't know. Um, investigators never um, pinned it down. Uh, there was just too much damage. They really couldn't rule anything out. Um, in pretrial hearings, though, at least one investigator said that she believed it was uh, an electrical failure. But in trial, you're saying the prosecution hasn't sort of relied on that and, and, no. and hasn't focused on it. No, they even had the same um, investigator in there on um, on the stand again, didn't ask her what her opinions are. And, and I think that that's a strategy. Um, for them, They uh, in the opening statements, they said several times that the victims in the fire had no notice, no time, no exits. And so to them, the cause is irrelevant. What is important is that uh, to their case, that Derek Amena and Max Herricks, they created the conditions that made any fire uh, deadly. 
Okay. So uh, for those that don't recall, we had a fire during sort of an underground electronic music show late at night. There was some admission, correct, that was... That was taken at the door. Yep, yep. They they called it a donation. It was like no, there's some term for it, but you know, basically, if you can't pay, don't worry about it. We'll still let you in. Uh, but most of the most of the people paid about ten dollars to get in, and Max Harris w- was collecting that fee. Okay, and Derek Almena, who was the master tenant of the place, was not there that night. He was not. He lived there with his wife and three kids. They got a hotel room that night. Okay, so there's all these people at the warehouse. Uh, it is not sort of. Officially sanctioned for residents, it was it was supposed to be an industrial building that, for all the city knew, had no tenants. Correct, right. officially. Right, and and not sanctioned for events either. Okay, that would have been another um, specification. And then a fire breaks out, um, and all, a lot of the the victims were on the second floor. Correct, right. mm-hmm. and that's where the music was playing. Mm-hmm. And it, um, if people may recall the. The terrible, some of the calls and text messages that went out in those last moments from the victims, many of whom were talented artists. Right. People in the courtroom today listened to loved ones read the final texts from ghost ship fire victims. One said, I love you. Another simply said, fire. And uh, one of the things that, that we're learning throughout the trial is just, um, you know, from the survivors that we've seen, whether they were tenants or, uh, or party goers, is just how instantaneous everything came, like, came about. They, it was first seeing you know, a little wisp of smoke, and then all of a sudden the, the lights are going out, there, there's black smoke all around them, and they're, and they're choking their way through the darkness trying to find an exit. Wow. Okay, so Almena and Harris, what exactly are they charged with, and what is the theory of that case for prosecutors? So they are each charged with uh, 36 counts of involuntary manslaughter, one for each of the victims, and for prosecutors to prove this, uh, they have to show that uh, an unintentional death had resulted from an unlawful action, specifically a misdemeanor action, or that decisions were made without due caution. Okay, so it's not a murder case where where it was an intentional act, right? You know, an intentional felony criminal act like an armed robbery, and it's not a voluntary manslaughter, which is much more serious. Um, this is something that um, that might lead to what a, a few years in jail is uh, wasn't there an earlier um, talk of a plea deal right there was an earlier plea agreement where um, Almena would have uh, gotten about I think it was nine years in a county jail and Harris would have received six um, and both of them had already uh, had spent some time in jail so it would have uh, knocked a few years off of that but uh, from my understanding it would be about 39 years if they're convicted on all counts. Okay, and why, according to prosecutors, are Harris and Almena responsible for the death? So it's kind of a, uh, you know, the buck stops here kind of theory. Um, They were the ones that were ultimately the leaders of the warehouse, according to prosecutors. Uh, That's been disputed by at least Max Harris's attorneys. But for Almena, he was the person who envisioned this whole space. He's the one they answered the Craigslist ad. He's the one that declined to uh, install safety features even after some of the other warehouse leaders wanted them. So there were no sprinklers in there. There were no um, fire alarms, smoke alarms. Um, exit doors. Um, while there there was one, um, it was difficult to get to. There were no exit signs. Uh, there there were a few um, uh, fire extinguishers, but from my understanding, understanding they were pretty futile. Okay, so they 
they were responsible for, for essentially for people living there, for a party or concert being thrown, and right. for the conditions inside, which yeah. weren't really conducive to, to either of those. Yeah, things. yeah. And, and you know, Almena's uh, – the, the case against Almena is, is different than, than against Harris because Harris was not there in the beginning. He wasn't present at that meeting where uh, other – other uh, artist collective leaders wanted the safety features. He came in a little bit later in the game, but later on he did take on a leadership role. At least that's what prosecutors are saying. Uh, he was the quote unquote executive director, um, even by his own emails, or the creative director, and uh, was telling people on Tinder uh, that he had a that he was a manager of the space and was also one that um, helped to plan the party. Apparently. Okay, and so before I before I ask you about the defense case, what is it like in the courtroom? Um, it's it's obviously such a, a tragic event. Um, are there people in the gallery? Are there family members of victims there? Yeah, there, there's there's always um, I'd say a good dozen at least uh, people who are uh, victims' family members. There are a couple that you that we know by name at this point who are there every single day, um, and. There are, uh, for at least for Max Harris, he also has a small army of supporters that show up almost every day. Um, I have yet to see somebody who has identified themselves as a supporter for Derek. Um, and then the rest of the courtroom is, you know, attorneys. Um, you know, if a, if a witness comes in, obviously they're there. And then uh, and then reporters. And, and I, I think I've seen Max Harris supporters actually holding signs. Even outside the courthouse? Yeah, yeah. Um, a, a few times. They, they did that the other day on the first day of uh, the defense's case, and, and they did it at least on, on the, a few days uh, when, the, when the trial first began. And what's their argument? Uh, just that he was, he was a tenant. Um, he really had a, such a small leadership role in um, the warehouse, and they feel that the landlords especially should have been charged. Well, let's talk about the defense case. Um, from the very beginning, defense attorneys have said, if you're going to charge our clients, what about the city? What about the police department? What about the owners? Right. Jurors in the ghost ship warehouse trial were told today that there was no record. The city of Oakland had properly inspected the warehouse before the building went up in flames, killing 36 people. New body camera video shows Oakland officers coming face to face with the master tenant of the ghost ship nearly two years before the deadly fire. Video that clearly shows police were familiar and frustrated with the illegal warehouse. How much are we seeing of that case presented? The defense has long sought to assign blame to uh, to the city. They had uh, pl there were police officers that had gone through the space before. Um, an inspector apparently had written a report, but nobody knows what happened to it. Uh, child services officials had gone through the space before, and and none of them really uh, flagged it for any kind of a hazard. Um, and so, what the defense's case is is that. Their defendants are not professionals. They don't know what's dangerous, what isn't, and that these people who are paid to do exactly that failed in their duties. Uh, also throughout the trial, we're hearing testimony, or at least through cross-examinations, um, that defense attorneys say that the firefighters that arrived on scene that night didn't do all they could to rescue the victims, that uh, you know they, they were in the warehouse for 29 minutes, but they were just fighting the fire. They weren't going through and trying to find victims and just trying to get them out rather than 
That's not a typical defense you hear. I mean, you don't see defense attorneys after a, a shooting, for example, try to assign blame to, to paramedics. I was surprised. I was surprised at that one, too, um, that... <laughs> That they that they would go after the firefighters, and uh, you know there there were even some tears on the stand from some of the first first responders. First responders, right? Yeah. Um, you also have reported that the defense is actually trying to assign a cause to the fire um, arson. Tonight, a witness in the ghost ship warehouse trial now says that he saw three people leaving the night of the deadly fire who he did not know. They say this testimony is consistent with their position. The fire might have been arson. Yes. Uh, and that that's probably like the newest uh, theory that we're seeing in the trial, because um, a lot of this information has, has been out there before, um, either through preliminary hearings or records. Uh, but the the arson theory just kind of started percolating right before the trial started. And we're seeing some pretty colorful witnesses now uh, that are saying that there was one uh, this this week who testified that she was going to a taco truck and that she saw 14 to 19 men in black hoodies that rushed in front of her at this taco truck right by the ghost ship warehouse right after it burst into flames and that they were congratulating themselves on uh, on setting the fire and saying that nobody was going to make it out alive. Um, and then there, there's also like some piecemeal testimony that I could see them cobbling together to support this theory. There was another witness who said that uh, he, he was a tenant. He was inside the warehouse in his um, airstream when the fire broke out and he heard a scuffle and Right afterwards, uh, he saw three men also in dark or black um, clothing. I don't know if he said hoodies, but um, running out uh, um, towards the exits. And so I, I'm sure that the defense will use that to support the arson theory as well. But again, I mean, this is involuntary manslaughter. Uh, the right. prosecution is not saying that, that Almain and Harris started the fire. And it sounds like from what you're saying that they're they're – sort of saying that it doesn't really matter sure. who started the fire. Yeah, and I think that that's what's going to be left to the jury to decide because um, it, it's it's kind of interesting. Like there's – it's not like the prosecutors and defense attorneys are arguing even the same point. They're arguing what matters more. All right. So moving on, Megan, how, how much longer uh, do we have in the trial before the jury gets this case? At least I, I would say four to six more weeks. Um the defense is expected to last uh, about as long as the prosecution did. And I think the prosecution was five or six weeks. So last question. Do we expect lawyers for Almain and Harris to put them on the witness stand in their own defense? Uh, yeah, at least as of last week, um, both of the attorneys said that they were 100 percent going to be putting their, their clients on the stand. And it's going to be interesting because the last time we heard Almaina speak was what was supposed to be his sentencing last year. And the judge at the, the time uh, found that Almena didn't show enough remorse and uh, basically tanked the entire deal. And it was a package deal with Almena and with Harris. And so uh, then Harris's plea deal was scrapped as well. All right. Well, Megan, thank you. Uh, we'll let you get back to court. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you to reporter Megan Cassidy for joining us. Thank you to Libby Coleman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network.
If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.